20 years ago on September 11th, we never thought we'd make it back. And for many people in our hearts, perhaps even strangers, they still haven't. Back then, as smoke billowed from Lower Manhattan, one man saw Bruce Springsteen in New Jersey and is said to have called out, Bruce, we need you. Days later, when we still didn't know a way forward, Bruce asked us to somehow rise up. Hi, I'm Ted Canova, and welcome back to my podcast, That One Lyric, where fans choose a lyric and describe how it has shaped and impacted their lives. While each episode and each guest holds a special place in my heart, this one has a meaning that will touch yours too. This one commemorates 9-11, a day when our guest Ed faced a morning in Manhattan, followed by days tending to the families, and culminated in a night of music and baseball that served as a small ray of hope. Ed, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Ted. Great to see you. It's great to see you too. You know, I did research on this episode because we are in the week leading up to 9-11, and it really stopped me in my tracks. And I got emotional just thinking of the lyric that you chose from the song that you chose, Mm -hmm. and it put me back 20 years in time. Before we get into those questions of Bruce Springsteen, can you paint a picture and let us know what were you doing on the morning of 9-11, 2001? 20 years ago, I've since retired, but at the time I was a vice president for MetLife, compliance officer with responsibilities over MetLife's compliance of its life insurance operations. And at the time, MetLife was the largest life insurance company in the world. So I was going to work that morning, taking the Long Island Railroad in, my usual walk down from Penn Station, and you look down 7th Avenue, and there's the World Trade Center. And I noticed that there was a fire in one of the uh, two towers. And as I got closer, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Somebody on the street said a plane hit. And I, and I thought, okay, because there had been an incident earlier with a small plane hitting a, a skyscraper. And I thought, oh, that's terrible. That's, yeah, what's, what's going on? Planes hitting buildings. I got to work. So I got into an elevator and a woman that I know got in with me. Her face was ashen. She couldn't speak. Tears were running down her face. And when I got off the elevator and walked into our floor, I found out what had happened, a, a jet plane had crashed in and then I think shortly thereafter we heard about the second plan and then we knew immediately that this was a terrorist act of some sort. What did you do from that moment? Did you evacuate your building? Did you head uptown? Did you try to get on the train and go back to Long Island? Well, we were told not to leave the building. We found out rather quickly that, you know, all egress and access to Manhattan had been been stopped. You know, trains were no longer running in or out of the city. The bridges, I think, had been closed. And thinking about doing work, that was impossible. Our minds were totally stunned and frightened and totally distracted so there was, there was nothing to do so we just walked around talking to each other one of us realized that there was a tv down in the gym downstairs in the basement so we went down to the basement and that's when we saw the whole thing collapse and uh, you know that tragedy people were devastated people were crying we knew people i had a woman working with me whose brother was part of the port authority security force and he had been in the trade center in the previous attack that took place in the 90s. He had survived that one and she was worried about him. Turned out I knew other people that were uh, either at the Trade Center that day or had family that were there. You know, we reached out to our relatives to let my wife know that I was okay. We didn't know what was going to happen next. I was in a tall building, we're in the MetLife building on 23rd Street. You know, it could, could have been a target, I suppose. At least we didn't certainly know what was at store, you know, for the rest of the day or, you know, for the weeks to come. 
words don't even express it. And I'm not even going to try to fake it and try to come up with some transition. We are going to return to 9-11 because it is the center of the song that you chose and the lyric that you chose. But I need to make a hard pivot to start from the beginning of your first exposure to the music of Bruce Springsteen. Well, I was a uh, college student, a freshman at Georgetown University, which is in Washington, D.C., and 1973. That puts me around the time, I guess, when Springsteen had just started issuing his Columbia Record albums, Greetings from Asbury Park and Wild and the Innocent East Street Shuffle, which were being played on Washington, D.C. radio stations. So I was exposed to his early stuff. Blinded by the Light, Kitty's Back, Rosalita. But it was only when the Born to Run album came out that he really kind of like grabbed me by the collar. <laughs> I had missed the chance to see Bruce in my freshman year. He had actually appeared in a very small hall called Gaston Hall on campus. There was a poster up, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I was a freshman at the time. I'd never been to a rock concert at that point in my life, and I've been kicking myself ever since for not going to that show. But I did pick him up when he did the Born to Run tour a couple years later, and he visited our campus again, college gymnasium, and I got to see him perform there for the first time. I'm not going to assume you remembered specific songs of that gymnasium concert, but boy, <laughs> we're all envying you, Ed, because uh, I don't think many of us have seen Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band in a college gymnasium. Do you remember the feeling that you had? Yeah, so this is like 75 and 76, and he was the biggest thing out there. You get your picture on the cover of Time and Newsweek, but the bus never stops. I was sold on this guy before I saw him, but you can't appreciate him until you've seen him live. I visually remember the band when they were wearing hats, and I specifically remember Clarence because we were on the right side of the stage where he always stood, and he was dressed in this crisp white suit, head to toe, big white hat, bowler hat, and a gleaming saxophone, and I was just totally captivated by it. Small venue, people were going nuts. What a great, great memory. I Like I say, the envy for all of us. It had to catapult you almost like a slingshot into the rest of his music for the course of your life. How many times have you seen Bruce in the E Street Band? I lost count when I got past 40. <laughs> After that one time that I saw Bruce, I didn't see him again until 1999. Because life kind of grabs you. I got married, had kids, and like a lot of folks, you know, we, we stopped going to concerts. I followed his career. I got every album. I think my daughter learned how to count to four by listening to Springsteen albums in our living room. One, two, yeah. three, four. <laughs> she used to dance around in the living room. She's a big Springsteen fan, as is my whole family. My wife also. We were big, big Bruce fans. Well, Ed, it's time to take another hard pivot from us joking and reliving your introduction to Bruce Springsteen to the song that you chose. Mm -hmm. What song did you choose that one lyric to talk about? My City of Ruins. There's a blood red circle on the cold dark so that song gets attached to a lot of different reliefs, whether it's hurricane relief or other things from around the world, but it was written before 9-11 for an Asbury Park Christmas show benefit to help promote the revitalization of the city, and it took on new meaning after 9-11. What does the song itself mean to you? It's about a place he loves, his hometown. In my case, it, it meant what had just happened to us in New York City, a place we love, a place we live with, a place we know like the back of our hand that now is devastated, been 
destroyed, where people are walking around in despair, not knowing what to happen next. Well, Ed, what is that one lyric you picked to talk about from My City of Ruins? Young men on the corner like scattered leaves. Young men on the corner like scattered leaves. It brought me back to the morning of 9-11. And the experience that I had with some of my coworkers, my friends, we went outside to the city to see what was going on out there. We didn't know whether we were safe in the tall building or on the streets of Manhattan, but we had to go out and see. So we, we went out, we saw the smoke, the fire raging downtown. And we also saw people walking, walking up from the Trade Center. And everybody was walking around, shocked, crying, despairing, emotional, emotionless. Sometimes people just in such shock. One particular individual I remember vividly, it was, it was a man walking uptown. He had been covered in the dust or the smoke or whatever was the result. He must have just gotten away from the collapse of the buildings. And he was covered in it, like a gray statue walking uptown. And when I heard that lyric a few days later, it struck me so much as to what it was like to be in the city that morning, on the streets, people walking around, scattered, confused, hurt, mourning, frightened, so many motions crashing into each other, not understanding, comprehending what happens next. It's really uncanny to think that Bruce wrote it before 9-11 to talk about the revitalization of Asbury Park. and. You know, it starts talking about the absence of people in the area, and then the lyric you chose is really men loitering on a street corner. And for it to pertain to the worst tragedy on American soil ever, when it wasn't written for that, it's really, truly amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, he said this, I think, in his memoir. His songs sometimes take on another life. The fans adopt them and repurpose them for other reasons. But this is a perfect example of, of that, his ability, uncanny ability, to write music that uh, affects people so deeply and in so many different ways, unpredictably. Ed, so much so that while the first two lyrics deal with kind of this 30,000-foot view, that third lyric gets so personal. Now there's tears on the pillow, darling, where we slept. Mm -hmm. And you took my heart when you left. Now there's tears on the pillow, darling, where we slept. You took my heart when you left. I mean, it almost doesn't pertain at all to Asbury Park's revitalization, and it almost pertains only to 9-11. I can't understand that inclusion of this song. I know. If you believe that artists have a muse, you know, like they used to sort of talk about, you know, this must have been Bruce's muse speaking to him at the time, knowing that there was other things intended for this particular song, you know, that it would take on other other purposes and serve other, other needs in the future. It's almost mystical to have this in his song notebook before this event happens. You know, another transition, it becomes Preacher Bruce, doesn't it? As he starts building towards the end. With these hands, with these hands, rise up, rise up. He's not asking, he's begging, he's pleading, he's almost demanding. This cannot be it. This cannot be the end. This cannot be where we end. We have to go forward. We have to come together. We have to put this back together again somehow. It crescendos with, come on, rise up. Rise up, rise up, rise up, get up, get up. But wondering if we can at the same time, wondering if it's possible, but knowing that we have to make it happen. Fortunately, 9-11, we had an experience where I think as a country we did come together. 
that song, I think, was something that a lot of us thought about as we were starting to put our careers, our lives, our city back together. Well, you talk about us coming together. Let's talk about what you did in the days right after 9-11. As you mentioned, you were VP of Compliance for MetLife, and it forced you about four miles north of the towers to Pier 94 around West 52nd Street, West 53rd Street. Doesn't Bruce have a song about 53rd Street, coincidentally? Yeah. <laughs> Bus drivers and yeah, that really album, yeah. That's crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> and you find yourself on West 53rd Street in the days after 9-11. What was your role? It was set up as the Family Assistance Center for families and victims or relatives of the victims of the tragedy. The Red Cross was there, but all the insurance companies were asked to send representatives to meet with family members, survivors. So I was asked by our company to basically manage the booth that we had. I met with mothers, spouses, children of people that had died. It was heartbreaking, but at the same time fulfilling in a sense. We realized we were actually doing something important. You know, I look back on it, of course, as the most important thing I, I probably did in my 37 years working for that company. That's so powerful, Ed. It was very difficult, but uh, again, at the same time, it gave us a purpose and gave us some important direction during some very difficult times that we needed for ourselves, too, in many ways, I think. Well, I'm sure if those people could face you these days, they would just give you their heartfelt thanks. So thank you for being there, Ed. Sure. Our privilege to be able to be in that position at that time. You know, we talk about the city coming together, and there were two events on the same night, 10 days after 9-11, and both of them tie into that one lyric you chose. Why don't we first begin with the break that you took with some of your colleagues to Shea Stadium, my shrine. (laughs) (laughs) Mine too. And to honor America with our national anthem and God bless America. Many people know the story, but why don't you fill us in your firsthand perspective of that night? We had tickets for a Mets game. The Mets were playing the Braves, and it just so happened that that was the very first game that was played after 9-11. Not everybody wanted to go. It was still considered a red alert in the city. I mean, there was some concern about whether it was safe to go. We decided, some of us, we were gonna take the subway into the game and, and go home. So that was a big event. Mayor Giuliani was there, Liza Minnelli sang, Mark Anthony, there were other celebrities that were there. But it was a very somber occasion. 10 days ago, People around the globe were shocked and saddened by the tragic events that unfolded here in New York City. And the Mets, as often is the case, they fell behind and the game was getting late and I was looking at the train schedule and I talked to my friend Bob and I said, you know, we should probably go home. This is the last train out of Dodge coming up pretty soon if we want to get back home on Long Island. Oh, Ed, don't tell me what you did. <laughs> the odds is going to be the bat. I don't normally do this, but this was these were special circumstances. It was the eighth inning and the Mets were behind, but I knew the batting order I knew what was coming up but Bob and I had to go we left they were walking out of the stadium and we felt like the only two idiots that were leaving at the time but we had to catch that train Bruce sings about that train a lot yeah (laughs) we had to get on board you know the area as you're walking toward the subway on the right field side the seven train suddenly the stadium erupts and everything goes batshit crazy. I mean, people are screaming. Oh, Ed. Marseille has seen Piazza four times. It was incredible. We walked past this young couple that were outside. They had a radio. They knew what was going on, and they were hugging and kissing. It looked like those pictures you see of uh, Times Square after VJ Day. And I said, Piazza, right? And they said, yeah, yeah, Piazza had a home run. Lopez wants it away. And it's hit deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Home run! Piazza and the Mets lead three to two. 
and that put us ahead. And as everybody knows, that was an emotional lightning bolt that got everybody kind of, maybe we were going to pick ourselves up from this and be all right. What a dramatic moment. You came back home and your wife showed you a VHS video of, of that famous Tributes to Heroes benefit that Bruce performed on. Right. That was the same night. There was a telethon, Tribute to Heroes, that was run on, I think, all the major networks. And because of the game, I, I wasn't there for the opening, but my wife had videotaped it for me. And she said, guess who opened the show? And that was Springsteen, right? And she said, yeah. And it was, of course, my city of ruins. It's a prayer for our fallen brothers and sisters. There's a blood red circle on the cold dark ground. And the rain is falling down. Again, that one lyric kind of brought me back to the morning 10 days before and with the desperation and the confusion and despair that I saw walking around Manhattan. And I said, wow, how does this guy do this? How does he uh, come up with this stuff like this? Young men on the corner like scattered leaves. So that kind of like tied it all together. I mean, what an amazing day that was 10 days later. Ed, when you watched that tribute and you thought of those lyrics and you thought back to the morning of 9-11 and, and you pictured those young men on the corners of the streets feeling like scattered leaves, did it occur to you at all that people might have been looking at you and you and your friends were also those young men on the corner like scattered leaves? Yeah, right. We were all, all there together wandering around and we certainly, we were as lost and worried as everybody else there. Not sure what the next day would bring, whether there would be another attack next day, next week, next year. We were looking for a direction. We were looking for leadership, at least with respect to Bruce. We were able to latch on to somebody that uh, seemed to have a voice that uh, we, could, we could hear and take some comfort from. Well, it's interesting you say that we were looking for because on the afternoon of September 11th, as the story goes, Bruce was in Seabright, New Jersey, watching the smoke from the World Trade Center when an unidentified driver yelled at him, Bruce, we need you. I've always wondered if that was sort of like true story, but I think in his memoir, he quoted that experience, that event. Ed, I think that this episode isn't just helping me. I really got emotional just doing the research and putting myself back in time, but in this week as we're approaching 9-11, I'm sure it's going to serve as some comfort, as a reminder of hope and dreams, and at least hope, to come out of these really dark moments, either through music or through community, and Bruce teaches us both of those things. He does indeed, absolutely. Ed, my pleasure to meet you and to have you as a guest on that one lyric. Thank you for reliving your real heartfelt and emotional story. Thank you for letting me uh, share it with you, Ted. I, I feel really deeply about it, and I'm glad I had an opportunity to share this. Thanks. Thank you. As if September 11th didn't have enough meaning to Ed's life, to all of our lives, it's also his wedding anniversary. So let's wish Ed and Marianne, his bride of 39 years, a day filled with joy, honor, and hope. And to you, wherever you are, however you're marking 9-11, try to find a hand or a shoulder. And remember, I'm Ted Canova. Thanks for joining me for this special episode of That One Lyric. See you next time. The congregation's gone. My city of ruins. Now the sweet bells of mercy drift through
Mama bro.